Hey, howdy, hey. This is Vic Vime speaking, and welcome to Mondo Bad Media. Today is Monday, November 19th, 2018, which is a date that not everybody listening is going to know is kind of special in a couple of ways. Uh, number one, it's almost a year and 20 days, oh, probably more like 40 days to date since I did my first episode ever of Mondo Bad Media with Riot Radio over at Durham College. Uh, and, uh, today is also the eve of the Trans Day of Remembrance. Now, I will talk a little bit more about what that means in a little bit, but for now, just be aware that there is, in the LGBTQ community, uh, there is sort of a, uh, solemn Remembrance Day going on at this time of year. So, uh, some of you will already know the film that I'm going to review today because I'm actually redoing the same film that uh, I did my pilot episode on, and I'll get to what that's called in a moment. Um, so some of you are already going to be familiar with uh, how I handled that in the past. Now, um, I will actually talk a little bit about the making of, I suppose, that initial episode, which I will link in the description below. Um, it is a video podcast, so you will actually have to watch the screen, or you can if you want to. Uh, I was being filmed as I was recording, so, uh, it was even more off the cuff than this podcast is, so. Anyway, but, uh, so, basically what wound up happening was I was, uh, attending Durham College doing a, uh, certificate in journalism, and, uh, I was looking for stuff to do. And one of the things that caught my eye was a poster for their radio station, Riot Radio. Uh, their website is riotradio.ca. They have Twitter and Facebook, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and so uh, they were having basically auditions for new shows to air in the coming semester. This, I would have seen this poster in September, I believe. And uh, the it just interested me because I've always wanted to you know, talk about movies and have people listen to me talk about movies. So that's pretty cool. Um, and I pitched Mondo Bad Media to them. Um, I kept it more focused on film, so it was called Mondo Bad Movies at one point, but I'm trying to stick with Mondo Bad Media. I slip up sometimes, as you do when um, different nomenclature changes. So even though I changed the name of my own production, I still have trouble remembering it. And uh, that's an interesting thing to sort of touch on on the eve of the Trans Day of Remembrance. Now, what trans means, I could talk about that for hours, but in short, it basically means for me the fact that my conception of my personal relationship to gender is completely different from how people see my body when they look at me in the physical meat universe. Essentially, what it boils down to is uh, I don't have particularly any claim to womanhood. I don't feel like a woman. I don't identify with girlhood or that particular kind of femininity. I am a feminine person, but I don't necessarily see femininity and masculinity as being positives and ne positive versus negative, you know? It's not a zero-sum game. You can have one and also the other. It doesn't have to be this polarized, binaristic idea of, of gender at all. Um, so that's just a little snapshot of my personal trans thoughts, anyway. Uh, at some point, I probably will end up talking about my personal journey with transition. 
Um, but in the meantime, that's how I'm going to cover transness for now. Um, now, the reason I am talking about this is because November 20th has sort of been designated the Trans Day of Remembrance. Um, and basically what happens is uh, in the evening we hold vigils and we try to remember those of us who have been lost over the course of the years uh, to violence, in short. Um, any sort of violence, uh, self-inflicted, uh, lack of access to resources, um, physical violence, outright murder, etc., etc. It is a solemn time that requires, um, you know, some compassion from people because there's a, it's an emotional time and not everyone is able to celebrate it as openly as they would like to. And that's very unfortunate. Um, but, you know, for those of you who are out there listening who can't attend a vigil for whatever reason, you don't have to be there to be there in spirit. Do you know what I mean? Light yourself a candle, have a moment of silence for yourself, and just remember that we can build bridges and we can make this world better, but we have to do the work that's involved with that. So that's my little Trans Day of Remembrance message for everybody. And uh, I hope that together we can grow as a community and um, continue to make inroads to making the world a better place for everybody. Um, but uh, enough about that kind of sad stuff. Let's talk about some crap movies. So, again, my show at, with Riot Radio was called Mondo Bad Movies. And, of course, I had to select a bad film for my first episode. So I thought, okay, geez, what am I going to do? Because when I pitched it to the two gentlemen who ended up being my supervisors with the show, who absolutely wonderful people, if you get the chance to work with them, then, you know, kudos to you because uh, I miss those guys. They were fantastic. They had seen Troll 2, which worked out okay when I was pitching the show to them. Uh, at some point, I will end up covering Troll 2 in some sort of proper capacity. But for now, that was my pitch. But then I had to think of a pilot. And the thing about a pilot is I wanted a film that immediately ha gave people an idea of what I was about as a person. And um, so I wanted something LGBT for sure, so that uh, I could sort of tap into that particular passion of mine. Um, it's a big part of my identity. It's not the whole of it, but it's a huge part of it. Um, you take away that part of me and you take away a big part of who I am. Um, so I did some research. Uh, I looked at quite a few different articles. Uh, I really like Wikipedia's list of movies considered the worst. Uh, the Wikipedia article is kind of nice because it's not particularly judgmental. It just sort of points out, this is a thing that happens in a feature film. It's very sort of cut and dry. Like, this was filmed, you can go see it. It's kind of nice to sort of come to that and not have to wade through somebody's like personal opinion. Now, I do have feelings about what we consider to be unbiased reporting, but when it comes to bad films, generally speaking, if somebody's like, yeah, you can watch this movie, but nothing's in focus, that generally tends to be a true statement. Um, so I was looking for the worst of the worst, uh, and one film that came up on both Wikipedia's list of films considered the worst and the IMDb bottom 200 list 
was a film from 2002 called Ben and Arthur. Now, Ben and Arthur is an interesting little film because uh, what really caught my eye about it was the, was the description. Somebody compared it immediately to The Room. It was described as the gay equivalent. And I was like, oh, well, that's intriguing. What could that possibly mean? And to be honest with you, it is a pretty goddamn accurate description, let me tell you. So I watched Ben and Arthur. It's pretty easy to find. Uh, you can order it. Uh, Sam Rolovich does did have a website at one point that was like hosted on Angel Fire or something. So you have to access it through archive.org. But if you just Google the movie's name, you can find the production company that sells it. Uh, I can link it in the product in the description below um, if you really want to own a copy of this. Uh, but either way, so I watched Ben and Arthur, and then uh, I started putting together notes. Now. I was just dipping my toes into what journalism is about in the course of my studies. And my initial understanding was just me over-interpreting something. I, was, I understood it that when you wrote a script for broadcast and you had lag time before it, that you were supposed to script everything you were supposed to say. My first script for Mondo Bad Movies was 23 pages long. Um, I looked at a copy of it this morning, and I kind of want to die because I tried to cram 23 pages of talking into an hour. Rough, well, more like 45 minutes because there were musical breaks. There are musical breaks in the Mondo Bad uh, Movies podcast. Um, so, yeah, imagine me talking at least four times as fast as I am now and just like rapid fire information. It was a lot to get through. Because not only did I want to cover Ben and Arthur itself, I also wanted to cover the history of bad movies. Um, so instead of doing that and motor-mouthing motor at you for 45 minutes, uh, I'm going to spread out sort of my knowledge of, of bad movies and bad movie history over the course of, you know, the whole podcast. It's going to be here and there. I'll, I'll touch on different aspects of it as I go. Now, um, LGBTQ film is not something I'm intimately familiar with. I have seen quite a few mainstream LGBT films. I'm familiar with John Waters' body of work. And in fact, his first film was called Mondo Trasho, which is kind of an inspiration for the title Mondo Bad Media. Um, it just sort of encompasses a kind of whole holistic view of something. That's how I see the word Mondo. And Mondo Trasho is apparently a very trashy film. It's a little hard to get a hold of, so I haven't seen it. But I love Pink Flamingos. I love Female Trouble. Um, Hairspray was a lot of fun. I, I watched the remake. I didn't see the original. But uh, for the most part, uh, I need to do more work in terms of my uh, knowledge of LGBT film history. Uh, a lot of it is tied up in something called the Hayes Code which uh, some of you might be familiar with. It was sort of the precursor to uh, the MPAA, which rates films these days. Um, now, the Hayes Code explicitly forbade the uh, depiction of homosexuality as being positive. So what this boiled down to is you could have gay characters as long as they were one of two things. They could be a tragic hero who dies and, or is killed off in the course of the story, or they could be the villain. Those are your two options. Any other depiction of homosexuality was not allowed. So you end up with a lot of characters who are sort of ambiguously... So a lot of people read them as asexual these days, but really it was just a way of signaling, this character is gay, but we can't say he's gay kind of thing. 
And this applied to lesbians as well. Although a lot of the inherent lesbophobia apparent in uh, post-Haze Code films has a lot to do with misogyny itself as well as lesbophobia. Those two things are pretty intimately intertwined. Uh, and a lot of there's a lot of ugly displays of that across history. Um, so, uh, but where does Ben and Arthur fall into the umbrella of LGBT film? Well, let me tell you, it is a uh, sort of histrionic rant by a very angry young gay man. Um, now, the part of the reason this film is so fascinating is because it's very it's a very emotional film. You can tell that even in the script, Sam Rovich, the director who also wrote and composed the music and starred in it and edited it, and it's one of those projects. Um, you can tell that he was very passionate about this. Now, the problem sometimes with passion is that it puts blinders on you and you don't necessarily see some of the flaws in your creation. Now, I can't fault Sam Raovich for wanting to make a statement. I understand what the need to express yourself. There's a scene in a Danny DeVito film called Death to Smoochie in which one of the principal characters is trying to get across the message to children. He plays a character who is called Smoochie the Rhino where he's talking about anger. And uh, I feel very strongly and passionately that anger can be an engine for change. It can be an engine for good things as much as it is a, a thing of destruction. Uh, what's important to realize is that sometimes when people are angry, they can't quite drill down enough to figure out what exactly is setting them off, why they're actually upset. So they lash out in various and sundry ways. And I feel like Ben and Arthur is very much a lashing out of a young man who saw in his country a lot of flaws that he couldn't strictly do a whole lot about or didn't realize he could do more than he actually can. Now, I don't want to be too mean to Sam Rovich because I don't think he was particularly old when he made Ben and Arthur. Um, but there are some messages within the film that are a little upsetting and that I think need to be examined a little bit more closely, particularly in, in when we talk about the different dynamics involved in the gay community, particularly pertaining to gay men. But I don't necessarily think that Sam Rovich was going about this with any kind of malice. Um, there's a lot of this film that is very malinformed, which I'll touch on in a little bit. But I, I, again, I don't necessarily want to accuse Sam Rovich of being vicious or malicious in any sort of capacity. Um, for one thing, this film is just a little bit too stupid to have any kind of teeth. Um, let me put it to you this way. Within the first five minutes of the film, multiple things happen in such quick succession that you're getting some... You, 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 I described it as scene whiplash when I was, when I was uh, talking about it the first time. Um, the central story of Ben and Arthur is that there's these two guys, Ben and Arthur. Uh, Arthur is played by Sam Ravitch. Uh, ben is played by the kind of cute uh, Jamie Brett Gable. <clears throat> and uh, the world is basically attempting to keep them apart. The problem with Ben and Arthur is that Ben and Arthur do not have chemistry. Sam Ravitch is kind of not really the kind of guy you would cast as anything but somebody's dumpy brother. And Jamie Brett Gable is a very attractive man. And the two of them, I mean, I understand love happens in all ways, but they have no chemistry on screen. 
Um, any of the scenes where they are interacting, where they have to touch each other, is extremely awkward and uncomfortable because I get the impression that Jamie Brett Gable doesn't necessarily want to be in this scene, but he was getting paid quite a large sum of, sum of money somehow. Now, the third character involved in these proceedings is uh, played by a man named Michael Habouche, and his name is Victor, which is a little awkward for me because that's my, that's my name. Um, and Victor happens to be an evangelical Christian who is a, who is a blatant and uh, comically overplayed homophobe. Um, and I would also like to point out that uh, Sam Rauvich's sort of hysteria really comes across in this character because he does absolutely no research to actually drill down and understand exactly what it is and why people believe the thing that they believe because there's a lot more to it than they just hate gays because it says so in the bible um it's not as cut and dry in that as that um what christian homophobia in this film ends up being is a hysterical straw man that exists only for Sam Rolovich to point the middle, point his middle finger at them and be like, you've been stepping on me my whole life. Fuck you, man. Um, there's no recourse for dialogue or discussion as adults. This film is very confrontational in that sense. And this is without even talking about the basic issues in, in basic film competency. Now, again, like last time's film, Slender Man, things are in the frame, things are in focus. It's just you don't necessarily find the things in the frame and in focus aesthetically pleasing. Um, for example, the set piece in which the character Victor and later on Arthur uh, meet with a supposed father of the Catholic, presumably Catholic church. It's vaguely Catholic. He keeps making the sign of the cross as he goes in. Um, that's Victor, not Arthur. Um, Arthur obvious is a bit of a Reddit atheist if you have to ask, if you had to ask me, but uh, more on that in a second. But uh, the set for this is literally actually bold enough to have a cardboard cross in it. It is literally actually cut out from a cardboard box and pasted together. There is literal art of Jesus on the wall that looks like it was found on somebody's 12 year old child's sketchbook or something. Oh my god, it's it's just, it's the most miserable, lazy little piece of set building I've ever seen in my entire life. And it's absolutely ridiculous considering he had the funds to A, put this film together, B, shop at first distribution, and C, hire two very attractive other male actors to play as his co-stars, both of whom he attempts to seduce over the course of the film. That brings me to two of the main points I want to make about this movie. The things that I think are the most toxic in this film. Aside from just sort of the blatant idea that there's no room for theological dialogue about homosexuality and where that falls in the pantheon of various and sundry belief systems, there is not a place for, for example, there is a scene in which Arthur says something kind of spiteful to Ben, and Ben clocks him in the face. The next shot is Arthur waking up and Ben leaning over him, dabbing at his bloody mouth. And they were just fighting over finances and, like, a petty thing that happened. It's absolutely ridiculous. And Ben's only excuse is that you, that'll teach you to say stupid things. That is such a toxic piece of behavior that never comes up again in the film. And it's extremely troublesome, especially considering 
the high rates of unreported abuse within the homosexual and L- wider LGBTQ community. It's very troublesome, and the fact that Mraovic doesn't take any time to examine exactly why he had to include this scene in the film says a lot. Now, the other scene that's very troubling takes place at the end, and it makes it's uncomfortable on multiple levels, and it will never be anything but uncomfortable. There is nothing describing comfort in this scene. The scene is a little bit like sitting your butt down on the cold doctor's office examination table. It's never really a position most people want to be in. Um, the end scene of Ben and Arthur is an con- awkward confrontation between Victor, the brother, and Arthur. Uh, Victor has lost his nut and is uh, attempts to do all this stuff to Arthur. This whole scene goes on for so long, by the way, that it's like simultaneously watching paint, tra- paint dry, except the paint is blood and it's coming from your own eyes. I think that's how I would describe this scene. Basically... Victor does all these horrible things to Arthur that are very reminiscent of various homophobic crimes. It's very uncomfortable because it's Sam Rolovich allowing this uh, attractive other guy to manhandle him and strip him naked. That's uncomfortable. Thanks, Sam Rolovich. I wanted to see your fetish on camera. And then the final scene before the end climax where everybody dies is that Arthur is convinced that Victor is in love with him and wants to have sex with him. So, hello, incest themes? Maybe Mravich would defend this by saying, oh, it's hinted earlier in the film, there's, like, one throwaway line where one of his friends is like, why are you so worried about your brother being gay? And Victor's like, I'm worried about his soul, and sort of hand waves it away. But that's literally the only time this is ever brought up. And the culmination of this scene is so uncomfortable that it's unbelievable. So the film ends with, Uh, Arthur being shot by Victor and Victor being shot by Arthur and everybody dies and it sucks and it's miserable and ends on a MIDI recording of Patchel Bell's canon in D. (sighs) This movie is exhausting. This movie is an emotional tirade that has no point, much like this review. Now, again, I don't want to be too hard on Sam Rolovich. This came out in 2008. Uh, two, oh, Jesus, 2002. This came out in 2002. That makes it uh, 16 years old. Sam Ralvich has certainly grown and changed as a person, and maybe he looks back on Ben and Arthur and is laughing. I did reach out to him on social media and by via email, but he has not gotten back to me. Um, I would be interested in interviewing him to see what his take on it is nowadays and whether or not he's still happy with the finished product. If I do hear back with him from him, I will definitely do sort of a bonus episode where I go over the answers he gave me and my take on what that might mean. And uh, I do wish him luck in his future endeavors. Apparently he's qualified as a real estate agent and as a hairdresser and, you know, sounds like he's just making a life for himself as best he can. And you know what? You can't ask more from people now, can you? I mean, you could ask for less themes of incest and stuff like that in your Vanity Project film. I guess I could ask for that. In fact, you know what? I think I will ask for that. Please stop including awkward sex scenes and and themes of seduction in your vanity projects. It makes reviewers like me extremely uncomfortable. And now I have to review this film and not talk about the fact that I've seen Sam Rolovich's ass on camera. Involuntarily, I might add, I was not expecting to see his ass. I was expecting to see other guys' asses, but nope, there's his. Okay, I guess this is happening. 
that sort of covers everything I wanted to touch on about Ben and Arthur. Um, I already talked about the Trans Day of Remembrance, and if you're able to attend a vigil, and it doesn't matter who you are, if you're trans yourself, if you're LGBTQ, if you're an ally, if you have friends who are trans, if your brother or sister is trans, if colleague, co-worker, doesn't matter. If you're there and you show your support for us, we see you. We recognize that. Some of us aren't very good sometimes at expressing the gratitude at the, these shows of solidarity, but if you are able to attend and you do show up and you're there in good faith and you're an open mind and you're willing to learn about us, thank you. Thank you for stepping out of yourself and listening for a moment. That's all we can ask for in the beginning. And I'm actually going to wrap up that review, this review with that message. At the end of the day, I think Ben and Arthur is going to sort of become a cult favorite, especially with LGBTQ film reviewers. Um, I don't think it'll have quite as much widespread appeal as The Room because of those sort of undertones that are present. Uh, in The Room, there is no actual physical abuse. Whereas in Sam and Ben and Arthur, it is, you know, front and center. So I think that's going to make these two, those two films kind of divisive in that aspect. Um, this isn't to say that The Room is necessarily a depiction of anything at all resembling a healthy relationship, but it is a little bit more loving, I guess, than Ben and Arthur. There at least appears to be some level of affection between Tommy Wiseau and his co-star in The Room, whereas Ben and Arthur, again, have no romantic chemistry whatsoever. So thank you very much for listening. You can follow Mondo Bad Media on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, Facebook, and all those other social media sites. I cross-link across all platforms, so uh, you'll be able to find one from the other and vice versa. Uh, and... Uh, you know, go check out Ben and Arthur. I will be linking where it is available below. And uh, have yourself a wonderful Monday and a great rest of the week. Thank you. This is Vic Vimes, signing off.